Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Uh, We are starting a brand new series today, and I don't know if I want to call it a series as much as it is just kind of like a two-part sermon, Uh, but we are talking about two being better than one. Two being better than one. And all the single people said, (laughs) that was your chance. Okay, you missed it. All the married people said, see, okay, yeah, we know what's up. That's right. Two are better than one. And we're going to be talking about what it looks like to be in genuine, loving, godly community for the next couple of weeks. Um, I know that many of our groups started last week, and we are in our fall semester for groups. If you're in a group or you're leading a group, someone give me a shout out of what, what, whoop, whoop. Yeah, those are all the happy people because they're part of the family. Uh, And so uh, we're going to be talking about what it looks like to live life together in community and in groups. And if you're new to the church, uh, I'll give you the the disclaimer right now. Uh, We believe that everybody in our church should be in a group. That's the the application of these sermons uh, before we even conclude them. We want everybody in the Father's house to be in godly, loving community with one another. We believe it's the most important thing. Because listen, this this is what happens when you get into a group and when you get into community. Groups are what make a big family feel small. It makes you feel, it's what makes you feel a little different when you show up on a Sunday and you got no one to sit with and you're looking around like, I don't know any of these people, uh, as opposed to walking up and everybody giving you a hug and someone saying, hey, I saved a seat for you. That's what we want. We want you to be more than just a group of people that gather together on a Sunday morning. We wanna be a family that exists in the context of our community beyond these walls. And groups are what take you from attendee to family. Oh, come on. Attendee to family. And we want everyone to be family here. And I'm sorry if that's weird. And you're like, yo, we just met. Like, I don't know if I want to be in your family yet. I already got a weird family. Some of y'all are weird. I don't know if I want you in my family. But we're going to be invasive. We're going to get all up in your space. I'm going to smile weird at you and just say hi and give you an uncomfortably long hug and maybe kiss you on the cheek because I need you to be a part of godly Christian community. It's the way God wired us to live. It's important for every single one of us. So if you will agree right now that all of you will get in a group or start a group, we can save ourselves 32 minutes and 53 seconds and we can quit a sermon. Who who will do it with me? No one's going to raise their hand. All right, I got to preach at you. That's your fault, okay? That's, that's on you. So uh, we're going to be looking at a scripture in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Uh, if you have a Bible, you can turn there right now. Uh, but uh, Oh, and before I do that, I'm sorry, let me share this, this value of our church. We've got eight core values uh, that we are using to establish the culture here at the Father's House. And here is our, our core value, that we want everyone in the room to become family, and here's why. Lives flourish in the context of community. We prioritize living life together and we refuse to let anybody do life alone. We want your life to flourish outside these walls and that is found in community. So Ecclesiastes chapter four, this will be our key verse for the next two weeks. And here's what it says. Uh, Two are better than one for they can help each other succeed. And that word succeed just means what it sounds like to win. How many want to win in life a little bit? Come on. We want you to win as individuals. We want you to win in your job. We want you to win in your relationships. And the way we do that is becoming a community. Two are better than one. They help each other win. If one person falls, the other can reach out and they can help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and they can conquer. Three are even better, for a cord of three strands is not easily broken. 
So here's what we're gonna talk about today. Next week, we'll hit the uh, two people lying close together to keep each other warm. Uh, That's a married small group uh, that we do around here, uh, teach you about spooning, it's great. Um, (laughs) That was weird. Uh, And and we'll hit the last one. But today I wanna talk to you about what Solomon says here in Ecclesiastes chapter four. Woe to the person who falls alone. They are in real trouble if there's no one there to pick them up. Uh, If you're gonna take notes, I wanna title this chat today, Never Fall Alone. Never fall alone. Uh, Let me pray and we'll get into it. Uh, Jesus, we love you this morning and I thank you for your presence in your house. I thank you for your people that are gathered here. And uh, Lord, I ask right now for anyone in the room who feels isolated, anyone in the room who feels lonely, anyone in the room who feels like they're not a part of a godly community, uh, over the next couple of weeks, that you would do a miracle in their heart, that you would get them kind of outside of that cave mentality that it's so easy to get into, that it's just me and, and no one knows my troubles and no one knows what I'm walking through. And help us to be bold about inserting ourselves in community and not settle for living life alone. And God, over our church, I pray that we would be the kind of community that would chase down anybody who is living in isolation, that we would refuse, as our, our value says, to let anybody do life alone and that you would establish such an incredible family here, even as we dip into the second year as a church. We love you today and thank you for what you're gonna do in the next couple of moments in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Um, I think loneliness is a feeling that all of us uh, have felt at one time or another. And I'm not gonna ask by show of hands uh, because that could get a little bit weird for sure. But I think we all have felt lonely or isolated in seasons of our life. Um, Statistically, I was looking this up this week, uh, 75% of our city feels alone. They feel isolated. They feel like they don't have a confidant. They don't have a friend. They don't have a community, which is a bit ironic when you consider San Francisco and the greater Bay Area. The fact that there are nearly a million people in our city, many of whom live in houses that are attached to each other or you know, levels that are above one another. And we're, we're so tightly put together in public transit and we sweat and it's weird. And yet we're, although they're, we're surrounded by people, just, we always feel isolated. Three quarters of our city, like eight of you just coughed at the same time. May Jesus heal all of you. Okay. <laughs> we feel isolated and alone, despite the fact that we are surrounded by people. And it's kind of ironic. Yet, I think we've all felt that from time to time. Uh, I think I mentioned in a sermon a while back that when Robin and I first moved here a few years ago, uh, I felt for the first time in my life completely alone, absolutely isolated. Uh, I remember moving here and we had, you know, very tight-knit community where we came from and there were still people that were going to be moving here after we moved, but some of our closest friends hadn't come yet and there were a few scattered about, but I just, I felt like nobody knew me. I felt like no one knew where I was at. No one was checking in. I felt completely isolated and alone. And I remember sitting down to dinner one night with Robin and uh, we were uh, doing something rare for us, sharing our feelings, and, uh, or at least rare for me. And um, I, I said to her, babe, I, I have never felt this alone in my life. I just feel like I'm completely out here all by myself, totally isolated. And when I said that, I looked up at her and, and she, had, she had tears in her eyes and I said, oh my gosh, do you feel the same way? And she said, no. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, me me neither, totally, that's that's completely weird. And I'm like, why are you crying? She's like, because you're sharing your feelings and your emotions with me and you never do that. I'm like, oh, any other like Enneagram eights in here that like feelings and emotions are a sign of weakness, any of you people? Okay, thank you, raising your hand, thank you. My people, yeah. But I remember going home that night and and I was praying and I'm like, God, I, 
I've never felt like this before. I, could, I feel completely isolated. And I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, you're just feeling what so many others in this city feel every single day. And I want you to channel and use what you're feeling right now to create a community that will never let anybody experience what you're experiencing at this moment. A community that will be relentless about chasing people down and ensuring that they've got community around them and they're not isolated and they're not, they're not failing and falling all by themselves, but they got brothers and sisters around and they're gonna help pick them up and get them back on track with Jesus. That's, that's the kind of church you want to create in this city. And I use that as fuel and I pray that over our community every single day that, that we would be a place that doesn't just show up and high five on a porch and eat a donut hole together, but that we would be a community that refuses to let people do life alone. Because listen, here's what you must understand. Jesus hates loneliness. God is not okay with people being isolated. He will do whatever it takes to ensure that the lonely and the isolated in our world find themselves in the context of loving community and loving family. Last week I mentioned uh, in, in the sermon uh, the law of first mention in the Bible and I stated that the law of first mention means that first time something shows up in scripture you should pay particularly close attention because it's establishing a pattern or a precedent in scripture that will continue to follow for the remainder of the Bible. Well, there's a, a first mention in Genesis chapter two for the first time, before sin even enters the world, where God looks at something in, in, in humanity and he says, this is not good. You wanna take a guess at what it is? <laughs> it's loneliness. Before sin even entered the world, God looked at the world and he said, it is not good for people to be alone. He created everything else and he said, it's good. The waters, those are good. The lands, those are good. The fish, those are great. But it is not good for people to be alone. On the sixth day, he created the animals that uh, walked along the earth and he created the birds of the air and then he created Adam, he created man. But there was no companion for man yet. And when he saw Adam all by himself, he's like, this, this isn't working for me. This guy needs community. Now, God's first attempt at community, you can go back and read it in Genesis chapter two, was to team Adam up with the animals. He was hoping that Adam would find some friendship with the animals around him. And so he brings all of the animals to Adam and he's like, hey, I want you to name all the animals. And he's trying to find a suitable companion for Adam. Adam was kind of the first like weird pet guy. Uh, you ever met one of those weird pet people that like they're a little too close to their pets? You know what I'm talking about? I'm gonna offend a few people, but it's worth talking about for just a second. Like those people that like carry their pets around in little purses with them because God forbid their feet touch the disgusting ground in San Francisco. They give their pets like human names. Like, oh, this is my dog Mackenzie. And I'm like, that's not a dog name. <laughs> I literally had a friend who named his dog Bernadette. I'm like, really? It's like a senior citizen name, like Bernadette. This is my dog Mackenzie. We share everything together. Like. We, she loves walks just like me. Well, purse carries just like me. And we share water bottles and we share sandwiches. You ever seen someone eat food with their pet? Like, that is wrong, okay? Like, oh my, I just love my dog so much. We just do everything. It's my Yorkshire Terrier. We're just the best of friends. You need a man, honey, okay? In fact, Mackenzie needs a man, okay? <laughs> I know what some of you are thinking. You're like, like, wait a minute, Pastor Tim, but like a dog is a man's best friend. Okay, that is a figure of speech, not an actual recommendation for companionship, all right? If your best friend is an animal, you need to get out a little bit more. You need, especially if that best friend is a cat. Let's talk about that for a moment, okay? That is not the will of the Lord for your life. Absolutely not. 
For what fellowship should light and dark have together? Angels and demons have together. Come on. You need people in your life. I forget where I was going with this. Uh, Oh yeah, so God brings all the animals to Adam and he tries to find... (laughs) Oh, I'm looking around at people in the room that I know you're a little too close to your animal. That's awesome. Okay, so he brings all the animals to Adam and he's like, we're gonna find a companion for you and none of them worked. All of them were insufficient. So what did God do? He created another human for Adam to be in companionship with, to be in community with, because human-to-human community is what God created us for. And then when he saw that, he's like, this is good. This is the way things are supposed to be. It's not good for people to live alone. And I think all of us innately know that. Like, we know that living isolated and living alone is not good. It doesn't stop us from doing it sometimes, but we know it's not good. We know that the gospel that our community and our world peddles to us of rugged individualism, that it doesn't work. Like, there is no such thing as being successful all by yourself. There's always community. There are always people around you. You need me and I need you. We need each other to truly win. We get that because we've seen what happens when people do life all by themselves. People get weird when they're all by themselves. When they spend too much time all alone, people get in a weird headspace. They get depressed. They get anxious. But I think the greatest tragedy of living isolated is what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes chapter four, when he says, woe to the person who falls alone because there is nobody there to pick them up. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. The greatest tragedy of isolation is that failure and isolation can be fatal. When you fail in your walk with Jesus, when you blow it, and you're all alone, it can prove to be fatal to your faith. I was uh, reading this last week in preparation for the sermon, a, uh, an article about um, this, I guess, growing trend of uh, free solo climbing or free solo hiking. People that like to go out into the wilderness all by themselves and, and scale the sides of mountains or hike up into the hills and camp all by themselves. I don't even like camping, much less by myself, but like, this is apparently gaining popularity. A lot of people are trying to do this like individual climb hike all by myself out in the wilderness. And apparently as free solo climbing and free solo hiking is, has, has, has picked up some steam, uh, so have the number of fatalities that are resulting as people decide to go out into the wilderness all by themselves. But what's interesting, I was reading this article, it said that the fatalities are not the result of people falling off the side of a hill or trying to climb and scale the side of a rock and falling to their death. The fatalities are the fact that when people do fall out in the wilderness, there's nobody there to tend to them And something as simple as a broken leg or getting caught in between two rocks can actually turn fatal when it could have just been a very simple fall because no one was around to rescue them. And so they end up dying because of starvation or the elements out there in the wilderness. What happened? They fell alone. It wasn't that they fell. It was that they fell all by themselves. And I don't think that that is a story that is reserved for mountain climbers or hikers out there. I think that is a story that is perpetuated in the church over and over and over again, where people who used to grace a seat inside of a church building on a Sunday morning, but were never connected to true community, they blow it when nobody's looking, or they they sin where they think it's beyond uh, forgiveness or beyond compare, and suddenly they excuse themselves from the community. They fall in isolation, And by the time somebody realizes that they're gone, it's too late. Spiritual death has already begun to set in and they're not interested in being rescued any longer. 
people falling alone, the solo fall in church. But listen to me very carefully. I will prophesy with my eyes open. We will not be that kind of church. The Father's house will not be a place where you can come in and punch your time card and say, I went to church on a Sunday, but then exist outside of Christian community for the rest of your life. If that's the church you're looking for, then you are sitting in the wrong one today because we are going to be a family. We are going to be the kind of people that refuse to let people fall all alone out there by themselves only to see that it's fatal to their faith. No, I want you to fall because we're all gonna fall. We all fall short of God's glorious standard according to Romans chapter three. That is by nature who we are. We are failed beings. We're gonna blow it time and time again, but we do not have to fall all by ourselves. We can fall in the context of community and that community can restore us to spiritual health as long as we refuse to do life all by ourselves. I want you to become family. So here's what I wanna do for the next couple of moments. I wanna look at a narrative in scripture Uh, We're going to go through kind of the life of a guy in the Bible. And as we do, I want you to ask yourself a very simple question. What season am I in right now? As As you see this guy's story and you begin to identify with maybe aspects of it, I want you to ask yourself, what season am I in right now? Because I think all of us are in one of two seasons. Either we're in a season where I need people or I'm in a season where I'm the people that people need. Because there is no, nothing outside of that. Either you need a community right now, you need people in your world right now, or you are the person that somebody in this room needs to live life with. And I want you to identify over the next couple of moments, which one am I in this narrative? When Jesus walked the planet, um, he had a small group. Uh, he called them his disciples, and there were 12 guys that he affectionately referred to as his disciples. And this was the group of people he did everything with. He lived life with them. He did meals together with them. There were a few guys he liked more than the others, the three, Peter, James, and John. He hung out with them a little bit more. But there were 12 guys that walked the planet with him. And among those 12, there was a guy by the name of Peter. And when Jesus called Peter, uh, Peter was just a fisherman. He was hanging out with his brother Andrew. Uh, They were fishing out on the lake uh, or Sea of Galilee one day and Jesus walks up and there's a large crowd that's following him. They've seen his miracles at this point and he's like, hey, can I borrow your boat as a stage? I I think if if you take me out into the waters, there's kind of this natural amplification of my voice over the water. Uh, Can I borrow your boat and I'm gonna preach this message and we'll see what happens from there. And Peter's like, yeah, you bet. So Jesus gets on the boat and he preaches the, the best message of all time. And uh, Matthew chapter six and seven, and you should go back and read it. It's a great sermon, way better than anything you'll hear here. And uh, as he finishes the sermon, uh, Peter's just amazed at the teaching. And Jesus looks at him and says, hey, I notice y'all don't have any fish on this boat. And you're fishermen. What's the deal? And he's like, well, you know, we've been fishing all night and there's, there's nothing in the water. Nothing, we haven't caught anything yet. And Jesus is like, well, why don't you put your net on the other side of the boat? It's like, for real? <laughs> you don't think I tried that earlier? <laughs> He's like, no, just, just give it another shot. So he puts his net on the other side of the boat. And lo and behold, he gathers in a catch that begins to break the very nets inside his fishing boat. And he is amazed. He's looking at Jesus like, who are you? And Jesus says, hey, you think this is amazing? You're gonna see things that are far greater than this. And he issues an invitation to Peter. He says, just follow me. Leave your nets, leave your life as a fisherman, follow me, and I'm gonna make you into something great. I'm gonna make you into a fisher of men. And so Peter gets invited into the group, into the small group with Jesus. And for three years, he travels the known world at the time and he watches Jesus do miracle after miracle. Saw some crazy stuff, blind eyes open, the dead raised, uh, the crippled walk. He saw some amazing miracles. 
But as we get to the end of Jesus' journey, around the age of 33, Peter makes a fatal mistake. Peter decides to do the very thing that Solomon warned us against. He, he isolates himself from the small group and he fails in isolation. And that failure proves to be fatal. Here's the setting. Jesus has had dinner with his disciples. It's the, 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 the Last Supper. And he takes a few of them and they walk up onto the Mount of Olives. And he begins to pray. Knowing what's going to come, knowing that he's about to be crucified, he begins to pray. And when he finishes his prayer, the Roman guard and the, uh, the religious leaders of the day, they, they burst into the garden and they're ready to arrest Jesus. And at first, Peter and the other guys that are there, they, they, they get a little, a little aggressive. They're like, okay, we, is it time to fight? Are we going to take these guys out? And Jesus is like, no, put down your swords, chill out. I knew this was coming. It's going to be fine. But as the guards approach, the rest of the small group decides to bail. They leave, but they leave together. And Peter, he decides he's going to try to stick it out by himself and serve Jesus alone. So we'll pick up here in the book of Luke chapter 22, and here's what it says about Peter. It says, then seizing him, that is Jesus, they led Jesus away, and they took him into the house of the high priest. But, and watch this line, but Peter followed at a distance. Let me, let me pause there for a moment. If you are the kind of person who chooses isolation willingly, that's about as good as your relationship with Jesus is ever gonna get. You will follow Jesus at a distance. Because Jesus did not create you to live life with him and him alone. He created you to live life in community. And if you think I'm lying or I'm making this up just to get you to join a group, I invite you to sit down for coffee with somebody who's trying to do the Christian thing all by themselves, who sits on their couch on a Sunday morning and watches some TV preacher and that's the extent of their relationship with God and ask them if they really feel like they're thriving or if they feel like there might be a little bit of a distance between them and Jesus. I guarantee they don't feel as close as they could. Why? Because you can't draw near to him without being a part of his bride. We are supposed to be in this place together. But Peter doesn't realize he's following Jesus at a distance. And then watch what happens when he faces temptation while he's trying to live in isolation. It says, and when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A little girl saw him and seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and she said, this man was, was with Jesus. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, hey, you're also one of those disciple guys. Man, I am not, Peter replied. And about an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. That's the way I read it. Just as he was speaking, that was horrible, <laughs> a rooster crowed. The Lord turned and, and looked straight at Peter. And then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. I want you to see something here. Yes, Peter failed. Yes, he blew it in the face of temptation. He was supposed to stand strong for Jesus, but he wasn't standing strong for Jesus. However, the problem was not that he fell. It was that he fell alone. I guarantee you, if there were a few other disciples around Peter at that moment, if they were all standing there, his, his response might have been a little bit different to the people that were accusing him of being a follower of Jesus. But something happens when you're isolated and alone. It, it becomes much easier to fall into temptation. 
what happened? Peter failed alone. Now, Peter had failed many times before. Go back and read his narrative through scripture. He's the guy that no one really wants in their small group. The guy that's always talking, the guy that always seems to have the right answer, the arrogant kind of cocky dude, like always testing authority. He's, he is that guy. He made a lot of mistakes on his journey with Jesus, but he stayed close to Jesus and he stayed close to the disciples. And so he never got too far off the rails. Now he fails alone. And this solo failure doesn't just dismiss him from the community, but it actually drives a wedge between he and Jesus. And for a moment, Peter thinks, I'm no longer worthy to be numbered among the disciples of Jesus. Let me prove it to you. So Jesus is crucified. He, uh, he's buried in a, in a rich man's tomb. And on the third day, a couple of women come to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body. Mary, his mother, Mary Magdalene, and a woman by the name of Salome. Uh, not to be confused with the delicious cured meat salami. Uh, those are the Bible jokes, people. This is great. And they show up to the tomb and uh, they're ready to anoint his body because they buried him in a hurry and they want to make sure that his body is treated with respect. And, and, and look what happens when they show up. Mark chapter 16, verse five. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side. The women were shocked, but the angel said, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now watch this line. Now go and tell his disciples, including Who? including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before he died. Why would an angel make it a point to address Peter by name when the community comes to find Jesus? Why didn't they say, go tell his disciples? Because obviously prior to this moment, Peter was one of the disciples. Why did they choose Peter instead of Andrew or John or Matthew or the other ones? <laughs> I know my Bible. Felipe and uh, Marcos. Uh, Obadiah. Why, why did the angel make it a point to say, go find Peter? I submit it's because Peter had gotten himself into a headspace where his failure had caused him to believe, I no longer belong among the disciples. I am no longer worthy to be numbered among the Christians because based on my actions, based on my failure, I blew it. This is beyond repair. I denied Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times, even when he told me I was gonna do it, I couldn't stand up for him. This sin is too grave an error. I no longer belong in the group. But here's what I love about Jesus. And here's what I love about godly community. When somebody has failed all by themselves, Jesus doesn't say, okay, pick yourself up, dust yourself off and make your way back to church. And when you feel like you're worthy enough, then we'll invite you back into the fold. That is dead religion and it is perpetuated for generations. And we've seen the fruit of it time and time again. It creates bitter, twisted and weird people that don't truly understand the character and the nature of Jesus. No, Jesus says, hey, if he's out there all by himself and he thinks he doesn't belong anymore, then the community has one job. The community must go and find the isolated party and bring the isolated party back into the group. 
get them back into relationship with me. If they're convinced they don't belong, then the only way they're gonna come back is if y'all go back out there and you get them. The answer was community. He sent the community out to find Peter. That's the job of community. To be the chasing party. Now, now listen. Yes, there is truth to the fact that Jesus will chase you down. He leaves the 99 to go after the one. Thank you, Corey Asbury. There's no mountain he won't climb up, no shadow he won't light up coming after you. We've sung about it, absolutely. But Jesus don't walk the planet anymore. And the way Jesus chases, pe chases people down is often not just by his spirit going out and trying to tap their heart and draw them back into the community. You know, the way Jesus chases people down in our day and age is through spirit-filled believers who he compels to chase down the isolated parties in our world and say, hey, there's still a seat at the table for you. There's a seat next to me in church. You still belong as a part of the community. Come on, get up, dust yourself off. There is no sin so great that God cannot forgive you of. There's still a call on your life. There's still a plan for you. Get back up and let's run after Jesus together. It is the job of Christian community to to chase down the isolated people in our world and bring them back. Without the community, Peter's relationship would have never been restored with Jesus. But because the community went and got him, now he was a part of the team again. And, and something greater happened. When, when the community got him, his calling was restored. See, one of the great benefits of community is that once community is restored, your calling can be restored. So, so Peter comes back. He's a part of the group again. Things are going well for a few days. They've invited him back. He's seen Jesus twice at this point. And then uh, there's a familiar scene. Peter and a couple of his friends are out on the Sea of Galilee again, and they're fishing. But they haven't caught anything. And a voice calls out from the shore. Hey, fellows, fellows, fellows. I love that the NLT says fellows. It's just a great word. I'm going to start using fellows. Hey, fellows. Have you caught anything? Anything, anything. Nah, we've been fishing all night and nothing. It's like, why don't you cast your net on the other side of the boat? Does this story sound familiar to anybody? And so Peter casts the nets on the other side of the boat and he brings up again such a massive harvest of fish that the nets begin to break. And Peter realizes the gentleman calling from the shore is in fact Jesus, the resurrected Lord. So he jumps out of the boat and he swims ashore. And when he gets there, there's Jesus waiting for him, gives him a big hug. He's cooking breakfast for him. He's got scrambled eggs and bacon and probably not bacon because he's Jewish. Uh, <laughs> Tofaken, <laughs> tofu bacon, I don't know. And they have a meal together. And then look at what Jesus says to Peter after breakfast. It says in John 21, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know that I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. And a third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked him the question a third time. And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you, Jesus said. Then feed my sheep. And then watch this. Then Jesus told him, follow me. 
The same scene as when Peter was first called is repeated here again in the book of John at the end of Jesus' ministry before he ascends. Why? Because once Peter was restored to community, he could be restored to his calling. He said, now that you're a part of the community again, now that you're a part of the family, there's something else I want to give back to you, something else I want to restore. I want to restore purpose in your life. I want to restore the calling in your life. You can follow me again and I will use you just as I promised I would do at the beginning. And we know that Peter took him up on this invitation because just a few weeks after this interaction, Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost and he preaches the gospel message and 3,000 people are added to the body of Christ and immediately baptized in obedience and they begin to follow Jesus because this guy's calling was restored. Because once community has been restored, then calling can be restored. Listen, your group is a bigger deal than you think. You leading one, you getting into one is a bigger deal than you think. And here's why. There's a calling at stake. I am grateful that Peter jumped back into the community and got back into the small group and he found his calling again and he preached the gospel. But that's his story. What's your story today? Has the call of God sat on a shelf for an extended period of time because we've chosen to live in isolation outside of community? It's amazing how weeks and months and years and even decades can pass where people are not living out the call of God on their life because they willingly choose isolation. Hey, this is a body. A hand can't exist all by itself. A leg can't work all by itself. It has to be connected to the rest of the body so that it can be used for the glory of God. Even as I say this, I feel the Holy Spirit just just breathing on some people's hearts right now. Let, Let this rest on your heart. People who have spent decades apart from the call of God because they haven't really been connected to the body. The Holy Spirit's saying to you right now, son, daughter, this this is for you. He's talking about you right now. Listen, God's not looking for more trophies to put on a shelf and to put you on display. He wants to use you. But that calling is found in the context of community. Don't, don't, Don't miss this opportunity. Don't miss an opportunity to truly get connected and be a part of what God's doing. And just take another semester or another chapter or another year and like, okay, I'll eventually get connected. No, man, do it now. Become a part of the family now. Don't let the call of God, because listen, I need your call. This church needs your call. This city needs you to walk in the high call of God for your life. We are at a deficit when people just continue to live in this boring state of Christianity where it's come to church and go back to life and come to church and go back to life. But when you are being used the very way God intended you to be used, watch as God finds people in your workplace and in your family and in your community coming by the dozens, by the hundreds, by the thousands to salvation because you are being used in the high call of God for your life. But that is discovered in the context of community. Now, let me, let me land today where I started and, and, and band, you guys can come. Um, I want to drive this home if I could. Ecclesiastes chapter four. It says, two are better than one for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Three are even better for a cord of three strands is not easily broken. Now we did call this series two, 
are better than one. But if we were really naming it after the scripture, we probably would have called it three are better than two. Because <laughs> yes, two is better than one, but three is still better. Like if I handed you a dollar, you'd say, well, two would be better. <laughs> and if I gave you the choice between two and three, you'd be like, I'll probably take the three, right? There's a college student in here right now like, is that for real? Is that happening right now? Yes, I got you. Yeah, three are better than two. Um, and he makes a statement, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. See, here's what a lot of lives look like. We're attempting to do life with just me and maybe some friends, okay? And so, well, I've got, I've got community. I don't, I, don't need, I don't need the community, you know, that's great. I'm just gonna hang out with my buddies and I, I, got, I got all I need. You know, maybe one day I'll invite Jesus into my life, but just we're gonna, we're gonna be okay. But here's what's happening when it's just you and somebody else or you and your community, but Jesus isn't in the mix there. The second things get difficult, the second life starts to happen, the second like, oh my gosh, they got the diagnosis and the sickness, well, what happens? It gets unraveled. It's, it's not strong, it's just, it's left all by itself. Or then there's the people that are just me and Jesus, me and Jesus and Joel Osteen on my TBN, that's what I'm gonna do, it's just me and Jesus. T.D. Jakes, he knows my name. No, he don't. He's my pastor. He don't know he's your pastor. Preach. And then when your life goes chaotic and you send in the prayer card to T.D. Jakes and he don't show up at your bedside, but it was just me and Jesus, that's all I needed. Nah, it doesn't, it doesn't quite work. But when you take your life and healthy community and Jesus and you braid them all together. Yes, I braided this myself. I got daughters and I know how to braid, all right? It doesn't matter how bad things get or how difficult things seem and people are stomping on your life and the devil's trying to take you out. It stays together because a cord of three strands is what's not easily broken. See, most of us have two and I, and I think today's the day you need to add the third strand into your braid. For some of you, it's just been you and Jesus. It's me and Jesus, we're doing great. No, you need some people in your life, you need a community in your life to weave together with that relationship with Jesus and make you strong. But for others of you, you're like, okay, I've got some friends, I've got some community, it's me and them. But you're here today and you know that Jesus is not at the center of your life. He hasn't been invited in his fullness to take over. Today's the day you need to add that string to your cord. You need to add Jesus into the mix because this is what I want your life to look like. When you walk onto your college campus and there's temptation after temptation to run away from Jesus, I want you to be strong and put together. When you walk into your workplace and there's temptation to, 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 to elevate the wrong way or to, to, to say no to, to people when they ask you about your faith or to shy away from the things of God for fear that it might hurt your promotion later on down the road, I want you to be strong. I want you to be strong in the face of temptation. I want you to be strong in the face of culture, but you gotta have all three of those things in your, in your life. Me, Jesus, and godly community. Which one are you today? I ask the question, are you the people that people need? Or are you the person that needs community today? Or, or maybe you're just the person that needs to invite Jesus into your life for real.
and start the journey with him. Amen? Every head bowed, every eye closed as we land today. And I'm gonna ask very simply, with no one looking around, I don't wanna embarrass you, but if you say, hey, Pastor Sam, um, I am that person today that's far from Jesus. And I wouldn't say that my life is wound together with him and braided together with him and I need to invite him into my life. This is your moment. And you know it's your moment because the Holy Spirit's tapping on your heart and it's starting to beat a little bit faster and you're like, ah, I just need to do this. Don't second guess it. Don't shy away from it. That's God speaking to you right now. He knew you'd be here this morning and he had your name. And this is your moment to get things right with him. With no one looking around, I wanna pray a very simple prayer with you. But before I do, would you just quickly lift your hand and look at me so I know who I'm praying with? Thank you. Got you there. Thank you, bro. Got you right there. Yeah, right there in the aisle. Yes, yes. Yeah, right on. Yeah, got you in the, in the rafters there. Anybody else? Hallelujah. Oh, thank you. Got you. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. All right, here's what we're gonna do. As a family, we're gonna pray this out with these making a decision to come close to Jesus today. And uh, we're gonna make sure that they don't feel alone as they pray. Say, Jesus, today I give you my life. I thank you for giving yours for mine. Today, I choose to follow you. Help me to be your disciple and to follow you with everything I am from this day forward until I see you in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Come on, can we just thank God for all those who just lifted their hand? Oh, come on, you can do better than that. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helps you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.